Uh, you are in the class, as you can see, on uh, understanding and helping <clears throat> the suicidal. And you're going to be bombarded with an amazing amount of information. And <clears throat> because of that, uh, this recording will be up online under Sundays in July, and I will include uh, with that this PowerPoint. Although most of this information you can find if you go to your... Um, DuckDuckGo search engine on your Brave browser, or if you want Google to know everything about you, you could use Google and just uh, plug in some of this information that you can find, find out about it. <clears throat> I want to begin by saying that even during normal times, in other words, not during a pandemic, it takes about two years to really solidify all the information that the CDC collects to make it um, accurate as possible. So between the fact that we're not two years away from the pandemic and the pandemic has slowed everything down in government, I don't know if you've tried to do anything with the government in the last year, but they're at a snail's pace. Uh, much of this information is going to be outdated already. <clears throat> and yet what, it, what is there is rather alarming. The Washington Post said, America's system for monitoring suicides is so broken and slow that experts won't know until roughly two years after the pandemic whether suicides have risen nationally. But coroners and medical examiners are already seeing troubling signs. That's the Washington Post. Man, this is not working. There we go. All right. Now, this is back in 2018, uh, just to show you the rise. Uh, and I'm focusing on these uh, statistics, and there's a lot of statistics to point to, but it seems as if uh, most of the rise in suicide is amongst young people. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that or more about that. But this goes back to 2018, that the rise of suicide in children and teens between the age of 10 and 17 was up 70% between 2006 and 2016. Since then, according to the American, America's Health Ranking, there, were, there was a 34% increase in teen suicides in California between the years of 16 and 19. So it hasn't slowed down from 2006 to 2019. There is a spike in suicides among young people. And California, as you can see, was higher than the national average. CBS News uh, says that ER visits, emergency room visits for girls who had attempted suicide between February and March of 2001 were up an average of 51% higher than the same period during 19. So that's pandemic, uh, during pandemic time. And it's getting younger and younger. CDC data shows that 24% increase in ER visits for mental health issues of children ages 5 to 11. 
were up compared to 19. And I don't know, I've left the percentage out. Oh, 24%. So it is, uh, it is becoming a tragedy amongst young people in what should be a very carefree period of time during the pandemic, and I suppose more and more as our culture goes to um, become more and more secular. Hayden, a boy from Texas, in April of 2020, took his own life just three days before his 13th birthday because he just didn't know how to deal with the isolation and depression when COVID caused the national shutdown. I do not believe that Hayden is alone there. And I think those are the kind of figures we're going to see. Closer to home, here in Van Nuys, 17-year-old boy from Valencia was struck and killed by a big rig on the southbound 405 freeway in Van Nuys and died at the scene. CHP statement, upon further investigation, it appears he parked his vehicle on the right side of the 405 <coughs> southbound, exited his vehicle, vehicle and intentionally ran into traffic. These are tragic, tragic events. And you can see here uh, the number of people who said they have seriously considered suicide in the past 30 days has increased most dramatically among young people 18 to 24 above the national or the average of all. So this is affecting young people. Young people are much more stressed. And there's so many, I mean, it's, we'd have to look at all aspects of our society to understand this. We're becoming more secular, less connected to God. Um, I mean, if you believe that uh, all of this exists, that human beings exist from some electrical, uh, a... Uh, lightning bolt that hit some primordial slime millions of years ago, and there is no God, and there is no afterlife, and all that there is is the misery of this world, you can see a lot of uh, hopelessness. And that, uh, that is um, shown in this article from Tim Challies. One of his blog posts, this goes back to 19, the title of Snowflake Suicide in Scripture. He takes, in that article, he takes some statistics from the American College of Health Association. He found out that 45% of students surveyed among American colleges felt hopeless. Hopeless. 57% were very lonely. 50% felt overwhelming anxiety and 30% felt so depressed that it was difficult even to function. He said amongst this people group, for an increasing number of them, suicide isn't if, but simply when. It's the conclusive separation from, for them that follows ideologically, inevitably, from an increasingly disconnected, isolated, lonely life. You know, if your life exists on uh, your Facebook friends, or of course that's antiquated, only old people use Facebook, 
I don't know what I don't know what the young people are into these days, but whatever social media they're on, that's that is how they uh, feel good about themselves based on posts on a on their t- on their phone. So they're disconnected from reality, disconnected from other people, isolated during this period of time. Now this. Uh, may shock you. It shocked me. This is uh, an, a, a graph I found <clears throat> in uh, Time magazine, I believe it was, yes, a few years ago. Of uh, This is the percentage of people, or the number of people, I guess it is, per 100,000 who have committed suicide. And as you can see, during the height of the Depression, 1928-29, was the highest level ever recorded in the U.S. And that diminished during World War II. Now, this is um, uh, somewhat personal to my wife and I, because her grandfather, who was severely ill, during the Depression, unable to find or to keep work because of his illness, took out a life insurance policy and paid on it for a year and went into the family barn and hung himself to be able to provide for his wife and children. He had no other way. of. There were no safety nets back then, very few. And so... uh, during the height of the Depression here, I think there was a lot of hopelessness, a lot of hopelessness going on, a lot of people taking their lives. During World War II, that, went, that drastically went down uh, because focus was off of themselves and on the war. There was a lot of camaraderie. It has kind of hung around uh, the 12 to 14 percent uh, from about 47 to... 1990 or so, there was a a dip from 90 to 97. Uh, Psychologists will try to tell you that's because of Prozac. Uh, I don't think that's true. Prozac is still around a bunch of a number of others, and you can see that the spike has gone back up. Suicide rates have risen since hitting its all-time low in 2000. And this chart stops at 2017, and we've just seen statistics that it is continuing to rise. And the real data will not be out for a couple of years. But it's on a continual rise there. So we have to think about, as Christians, um, what is the value of life? For the secular world, I mean, we can see that they do not view life of much value. Uh, They're very easy, very quick uh, to want to end their life because they think that's going to be better. Suicidal people have come to the conclusion that life is not worth living. What does Scripture have to say about that? Of course, it says that life is a gift from God. We are made in God's image with great worth. 
If you're, if as believers we understand that the God of the universe, the God who created all things, time, space, matter, animal, plants, everything that exists on his final creation created man, and he says, let us make man in our own image. It's the only creature created in God's image. No other animal, no other being, no other thing was created in God's image other than mankind. And of course, uh, womankind as well. Eve was taken from Adam. Adam was created from the earth. And God took clay and breathed life into it. The breath of God, if you will. Then God formed man from the dust of the earth, the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. God, of course, is sovereign over life. We understand that. The world does not. He says, I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death, and I who give life. So consequently, we know that Scripture clearly teaches that murder is sinful. That, of course, would include uh, abortion, euthanasia, suicide. All types of murder, therefore, are sinful and a great assault against God the Creator, who gives life. And this is probably as good a place as any to talk about this question that comes up a lot uh, within Christendom, if you will. Can a believer commit suicide? That's a question you may get. That's a question that comes up. It's one you need to be careful about answering. It's a tough question. Um... Because if someone is asking that question, uh, they may be asking, as a believer, if I commit suicide, will I go to heaven? Because they may be considering suicide because of whatever is going on in their life, and to them, heaven would be better. But you can't really answer that question for several reasons. You don't know the condition of that person's heart, regardless of uh, how long they've attended church or whatever you don't really know. In fact, if they're considering suicide, which is a sin, there is most likely uh, a doubt about their salvation. At the same time, we have to say, that suicide is not the unpardonable sin. It would certainly leave questions about their salvation amongst people if they took their own life. But I think most would agree, uh, and, I, and we have a couple of articles up at Grace to You on this very subject, that it is not the unpardonable sin. It is possible for a true believer to commit suicide if they become so overwhelmed uh, in their mind that they just can't go forward and they're looking forward to, to being in heaven. We'll point 
out a little later why some of those cases might be. But I just uh, warn you, if someone asks you that question, uh, to be quite careful how you answer it if they're just looking for a way out. Now, suicide is not something new. Obviously, uh, there's nothing new under the sun. There are a number of suicides in the Bible, you may be surprised, and even more suicidal people. Let's start with Abimelech. Um, He was in a battle up against a fortress, and a woman threw a millstone on his head and crushed his skull, and he called out quickly to a young man, his armor bearer, saying, draw your sword and kill me so that it's not be said a woman has slew me. So the young man uh, pierced him through and he died. Now some of these are in the case of battle where uh, the results are clear, what's going to happen, and uh, you, may, you may associate this with, say, an assisted suicide maybe. Uh, one of the more clear cases here, Zimri, who was a servant of Eleth, the son of Basha, the king of Israel, he took it upon himself to kill the king and all of the king's household. That, by the way, was fulfilling the word of the Lord by Jehu, the prophet, that he would kill all of the household of Basha. But then Zimri made himself king over Israel, which lasted for seven days, because then King Asa of, of Judah made Omri, the commander of the army, king over Israel, and Omri came up against Zimri. So Omri's going to take over and kill Zimri. Zimri decides that he is going to go into the citadel of the king's house and burnt the king's house with himself in it, and he died. Another suicide. One I don't have on here, but we can think about is Samson as well, when he pulled down the buildings over the Philistines by breaking the pillars. Certainly a suicide in that sense. Saul, again, in the midst of battle, the archers had hit him. He was badly wounded by the archers. Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and pierce me through. Otherwise, uncircumcised will come and pierce me through and play sport with me. But in this case, his armor bearer would not. And so, he was, because he was greatly afraid, and Saul fell on his sword and killed himself, and the armor bearer followed. Suit also killed himself. Gephithophel... Here we have someone um, maybe along the same lines as uh, my wife's grandfather, Ephithophel. After he had betrayed Davis and had gathered with Absalom, had lost Absalom, Absalom would no longer accept his counsel. And so he was very saddened. He saddled his donkey He arose and went to his home, to his city, put his house in order, strangled himself. Thus he died and was buried 
in the grave with his father. So here's a man in this society, you have to understand, he, has, he was in a high, he was a highly respected individual that would uh, give advice to kings. And yet, uh, because of his betrayal of David and then losing Absalom's confidence, lost all of his income. He lost any way of providing for himself. He was destitute and decided rather than live that way, he was going to take his own life. And let's not forget Judas. He committed suicide because of overwhelming guilt. Judas, had betray, who had betrayed Christ, saw that he had been condemned and felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned and betrayed innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? You see to it yourself. And they threw the pieces of silver in the temple. He departed and went away and hung himself. Now we could probably uh, think of others um, who were in similar situations in Scripture. I'm just pointing out that this is not new to the world today. So how does the world today view life? We just looked at scripturally how Christians should view life, how we understand it's of value, how God created mankind, uh, gives great value to it. Uh, there is an eternal life connected. You know, those are, those are becoming less and less common in our more and more secular society. I mean, today... The world seems to believe that we should not experience any pain. We should not experience any troubles. The world believes that problems and trials in life are abnormal. The world believes that you should not expect to have to suffer life. And by the way, that's a rather new uh, thing. And it was really just a few decades ago before the whole world was psychologized, that uh, you might hear someone say, I'm feeling a little melancholy, but it will pass. In other words, they didn't go seek a psychologist to get put on a psychotropic drug to treat their depression. They realized that there are periods of time when you just feel a little melancholy or a little down. But that can't stand today. People believe that if, they're, if you're feeling uh, depressed, uh, as they would label it, there's something wrong, and you need to take medication to correct that. But the fact is that the world is full of wicked people, and the world is in tribulation, and it is ruled by the evil one. Isaiah 57, 20 and 21 says, But the wicked are like the tossed sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters tossed up refuge in mud. There is no peace, says God, for the wicked. So the wicked in this world, which is increasingly the number, there is no peace. And they're constantly in turmoil, and their worldview says that that should not be the case. And therefore you have the situation where they're so hopeless and suicidal and unfulfilled 
But it's not just unbelievers who face trials. First of all, Jesus warned his own disciples, in this world you will have tribulation. Think about the number of people in the Bible who were in the depths of despair. Now, they did not uh, commit suicide, or in one case, the Lord didn't allow that to happen, but they were in the depths of despair. Let's begin with Jonah. Jonah did not want to obey the Lord and go and share the gospel with the Ninevites, and so he was in a ship going the opposite direction when the Lord caused that great storm in the ship. Of course, they cast lots. They found out it was him. They said, what do we do to get the storm? He says, just throw me in the sea. Of course, we know the end of the story. We know the fish swallowed him up and spit him out near, uh, on the shore. Uh, Jonah didn't know that. He was willing to die in the sea of drowning uh, rather than obey the Lord and go share the gospel with the Ninevites. Let's consider Job. Uh, extreme, extreme difficulties from outside not caused by anything that he did at all. In fact, he never knew this. Well, I mean, we can read the book of Job and find out how the Lord was intervening in there and causing all that to happen. Job never found that out. Job never knew. I mean, he does know now. But he didn't know then. He didn't know why all that was happening to him. But in Job 3.3, he was so downtrodden, he said, let the day perish in which I was ever born. There's a man who's suicidal. He didn't take his own life. How about one of the greatest prophets, Elisha? Here's a man who would never see death, who would be carried to heaven in a flaming chariot. He had just finished defeating all the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. An amazing, amazing uh, supernatural event that should have had him elated and uh, trusting in the Lord and knowing that the Lord is in control of all things. And yet, when Jezebel found out about the prophets of Baal, she said, um, if you're alive by tomorrow, then, uh, you know, uh, it'll be because I failed, essentially. He threatened to kill him. So, and upon that, when upon hearing that, he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, Lord. Take my life, literally my soul. So he was at the depths of despair right after being um, in a position of being used by the Lord in miraculous, miraculous ways. So feeling depressed or even becoming uh, wishing that you weren't alive is not, uh, does not indicate necessarily that you are any less spiritually mature, I think it's something we have to face that it can happen to almost anyone. It can happen to a, a, a prophet of the Lord. Now, there are many others that faced trials in life. David, David had external trials upon him. He had Saul trying to kill him for years until uh, Saul... Uh, died in battle. That was of no fault of his own, but he also had many internal tribulations, including his son Absalom 
turning against him, and all of those trials were caused by his sin with Bathsheba. And then things changed for him. The results, the, um, the trials that took place after that were based upon his sin. And the sin was against God and God alone, he said. But the result, the um, effects of it affected the entire nation and affected him and his family. Naomi, she lost her husband and both of her sons, but she persevered through that uh, trial in, in amazing ways, really. Paul is, uh, many places we could turn in Scripture to where Paul uh, experienced severe uh, trials. Second Corinthians, um, I'm getting ahead of myself. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Now, Paul is, uh, you know, we could, like as I said, we could go to many, many places in Scripture and find places where Paul was severely under uh, trial trials, persecutions, uh, shipwrecked, on and on and on. And yet, uh, he persevered. So the, what we're trying to uh, emphasize there is that the world's view that there should be no trials and they're all depressed because there are trials is not anything that we should expect as believers. The scripture clearly teaches that there are going to be trials, there are going to be sorrows, there is going to be death in this world. And it is all because of the effects of original sin. And the more that our society chooses to ignore the reality of Scripture, the more and more desperate they're going to be to be become. And because they don't believe in hell or even an afterlife, to them suicide looks like an easy way out of this, if of this life. So now we're going to look at who is most likely to commit suicide. Now, whenever we look at any of these things, these are statistics. It doesn't mean someone within other categories cannot, but uh, these are the uh, main ones that are the highest. Now, you may say, well, that covers everybody, uh, but it really doesn't. Um, it is most severe in teens and young adults. These are people that are going through what can be trying times and a lot of pressure on them from society and their parents to do good in school, uh, to get ahead, to get a good job. They're graduating. They're young adults. They're trying to get themselves established uh, in uh, the workforce Again, a very stressful time, and if they fail in those areas, then they can become suicidal. And in the elderly, uh, the largest percentage, uh, white men over the age of 65 have the highest rate of suicide. And I do believe that statistic was associated with a study on the abuse of opiates at the time. Now, there's been significant uh, reduction in 
of that because of uh, some laws that have been passed and uh, doctors have been asked not to prescribe them quite as much as they were, but uh, the opiate crisis at the time was causing uh, elderly uh, men in particular to uh, commit suicide. So um, this is from WebMD. Uh, suicide risks also are higher in these following groups. Begin with older people who have lost a spouse through death or divorce. This can be an extremely difficult time in a person's life. Um, Think about someone who's been married for 40, 50, 60 years and suddenly their spouse dies. Half of them dies with them if they're uh, fulfilling in marriage vows then they are huge change in their life. They, they may or may not be prepared for it financially. Huge time when uh, people are susceptible to um, suicide. Also, people who have attempted suicide in the past. Uh, these ER visits, uh, that we, the statistics we showed earlier, when people have been into the ER room because they have considered or thought about suicide, are susceptible to do it again. It's kind of a building up an immunity. People with a family history of suicide. I mentioned my wife's grandfather back in 1929. You know, her mother was uh, suicidal uh, after the birth of her um, tried to kill herself by starting the car in the garage. My wife herself was standing on a building in New York after being successful on Broadway and thought there was no um, reason to live any further. So it can be heretical. It can be a part of a family history, something you need to be concerned about. People with friends or coworkers who commit suicide. Uh, yeah, special, special friends, sometimes uh, uh, this can be associated with survivor's guilt, people who are guilty because they survived a mass uh, event of mass casualties, uh, like the apartment that just collapsed or the, so, the two frequent occasions of mass shootings at uh, high schools, those types of things, I mean... There more than one case of a, a young person taking his life even a year or so after a mass shooting like that because they are wrought with survivor's guilt. Anybody that has a history of physical, emotional, or sexual abuse, uh, again, is looking for a way out. People who are unmarried, unskilled, and um, unemployed People with a long-term pain or disability or terminal illness, that includes my wife's grandfather. He had extreme pain and illness, unable to work, disability, no safety net at the time. People prone to violence or impulsive behavior. If someone has already... Um, 
been into a 72-hour lockdown or some sort of a psychotic hospital where they've been calmed down and uh, they're ready to be released, uh, the initial time away from that kind of protected uh, circumstance can be very volatile. They're now out on their own. They have no safety net around them. Um, people of various professions. People uh, who are in a profession where they see a lot of pain, a lot of illness, a lot of death, uh, are susceptible to suicides. This includes police officers, doctors, nurses, healthcare providers, all who work, or, or healthcare providers who work with terminally ill patients, maybe a hospice nurse or something like that. Uh, they're around it all the time. They see it day in and day out. It, it can wear on them. People who are, uh, have a substance abuse, some kind of a drug abuse. Uh, and again, this uh, at the time, a few years ago, opiates was the uh, leading crisis. I'm not sure that's still the case. It'll be a while till we get statistics out. Um, and uh, although women are three times as likely to attempt suicide, men are four more likely to be successful. And that's generally because women will often take pills and somebody can find them and get them to the hospital. Men generally take a gun and uh, it's over. So men are more successful, women are more likely to attempt suicide. So what are some of the warning signs that we should be aware of? What should we be looking for? This comes from uh, the Mayo Clinic, uh, this list. Talking about suicide. Uh, for example, uh, Many statements such as, I'm just going to kill myself. I wish I was dead. I wish I had never been born. Uh, this is something to keep uh, an eye out. Keep, uh, this is a warning to you. If you hear this, getting the means to take your own life, such as someone who's never had a gun before in their life goes out and buys a gun or stockpiles pills. This is something to be concerned about. Withdrawing from society. Um, wanting to be left alone. Having mood swings such as being emotional. Emotionally high one day and deeply discouraged the next. Uh, the psychologist would describe that as bipolar. One of the largest group of people who are bipolar are people who are watching sports, right? Yay, my team is winning! <sighs> they go from highs to lows. The bipolar, the whole group of them. In other words, not everything needs a psychological diagnosis. Some things are normal. Um, being preoccupied with death, dying, or violence feeling trapped or hopeless in a situation, the increased use of drugs or alcohol, changing your normal routine, 
including eating or sleeping patterns. You know, if you don't get a sufficient amount of sleep, you can have uh, psychotic reactions that are similar anyway to taking LSD. I mean, you could become completely out of your mind by not getting enough sleep. These are things to watch out for, people who are uh, having trouble sleeping. Doing risky or destructive things, such as using drugs or driving recklessly. I don't think that includes going 300 miles an hour on a racetrack. I hope not. So I've done that. Driving recklessly. Giving away belongings or getting affairs in order when there's no other logical explanation for it. Saying goodbye to people as if you will never see them again. Developing personal changes or being severely anxious, agitated, particularly when experiencing some of the warning signs listed above. Now, these are all good things to be um, uh, aware of, right? Uh, and, you know, again, I, this, all of this stuff is online in many different places. This came from the Mayo Clinic. You can find lists like this on many different uh, social net, uh, or medical websites. The warning signs, however, are not always obvious. They may vary from person to person. Some people make their intentions very clear. Others keep suicidal thoughts and feelings completely to themselves, completely secret. Stuart Scott mentioned at the ACBC conference on suicide, which I attended, he said, one of the largest studies ever done, pulling together many other studies into one huge study, Determined that you really cannot tell if a person is suicidal or not. It's impossible to be 100% sure. All, you should be aware of all of these things we have covered, but there are, people that, there are people out there that can hide what their intentions are to the point that you may never, you may never 100% know for sure. But that doesn't mean that you don't look for those signs. In other words, you may find somebody who is constantly talking about suicide or doing it very often and never uh, doing it, and you could find someone who never talks about it, never gives any indication, uh, perhaps like that 13-year-old boy, and then just goes and kills himself. But we should be aware of the various triggers that can or often do lead to that. Now, when I say that, um, think about emotional responses, why someone would consider suicide. I think in my earlier talk, I even said, I probably had read, that depression is one of the leading causes of suicide. And that's not true. I should erase that from my earlier talk. Uh, suicide, uh, depression is one of the reasons that someone can consider themselves, uh, can be suicidal. And I'll just mention, uh, if you know someone who's depressed and you want to know how to help, this book called Depression, 
by Edward Welch is a wonderful resource uh, to help you in that area. Um, however, in um, help, my friend is suicidal. It's a little book by uh, Bruce Ray. He lists some of the reasons that people who uh, have considered suicide or were in the ER for suicide have listed, I didn't mean to bring both of those up at the same time and overwhelm you, have listed all of these reasons that they could be depressed and suicidal. Anger, jealousy, depression, bitterness. Let's think about anger and jealousy just for a minute. How many stories do we read about uh, a divorced or separated couple and one or the other comes in and kills the wife and the kids and then commits suicide because if I can't have them, nobody can have them. I mean, you read about those tragic circumstances all the time. Anger, jealousy, depression, bitterness, unwillingness to forgive. A person who's unwilling to forgive carries that monkey on their back. The person that has theoretically offended them or whatever may not even know uh, that that issue exists. It's not a burden on them. It's a burden on the person who is unwilling to forgive and is carrying that. Self-pity, pride, shame, guilt. Think about uh, Judas. Revenge. Avoiding greater pain, uh, Saul. And loneliness. Now, loneliness is something that is increasingly a part of our society. Did I move that? Okay. Uh, loneliness, again, is a part of our society more and more as people are disconnected from one another and are living their lives online on some kind of a social media platform. Um, and the younger generations are far more susceptible to that. Isolation, rejection, oh, somebody who's broken up with a, a boyfriend or girlfriend, loss of status, such as Zimri or Ephithophel, income, power, and just bored. Like there's no reason to live anymore. Autonomy, I will be the captain of my fate. Divorce or death of a spouse, bad relationships, stress, accidental drug overdose. Maybe they weren't planning to commit suicide, but they accidentally took too many are some of these ridiculous online challenges that go on where uh, people end up dying over a, a silly challenge. Guilt over sin, think of Judas, killing themselves as the ultimate uh, punishment, ultimate punishment to themselves. Now, I want to talk a little bit now about Medications, medications. As I said before, 
uh, a, decade, a few decades ago would not be any reason to go see a doctor or a psychologist if you were feeling a little blue, a little melancholy. You would recognize that those things happen in life and you would get over it. But of course today, uh, everything is diagnosed as a disease or the things that should be abnormal or considered normal. Uh, and medications, warnings about medications. Prozac, one of the first and probably still very popular drugs, uh, has this warning on the label. Report any new or worsening symptoms to your doctor, such as mood behavior changes, anxiety, panic attacks, trouble sleeping, if you feel impulsive, irritable, agitated, hostile, aggressive, restless, hyperactive, mentally or physically, more depressed, or if you have thoughts of suicide or hurting yourself. Now, this is a drug to help you. And those are all the side effects listed on the label. And the fact is, uh, with all of these drugs called SSRIs, uh, that are being prescribed ad nauseum, there have been no long-term studies to determine whether there's any uh, permanent changes in the way your brain thinks or uh, even damage uh, certain, in certain ways. You know, it was the 90s, 1990, when John was warning about all the kids in school who were being put on a Ridlin, keep them calm in their seats, and some of those kids have never been off of that drug and are still uh, on some sort of a drug today. And um, I have this warning for them. Uh, never take yourself off of a doctor-prescribed drug like that um, without doctor supervision. Uh, we personally have seen people who go into a total tailspin uh, when they go off of those, either cold turkey immediately, or even sometimes it takes a while, in some cases, for the drug to work out of their system if they've been taking it for decades or even for a long period of time. But eventually, how they function, how they think, how their mind works changes, and in many cases, they... Um, kind of spin out of control. Now, I'm not saying that you can't get off of those drugs, but it would be a combination of two things. First of all, dealing with your issue, whatever issue it was that got you on the drug in the first place, dealing with that biblically so that you understand how to uh, deal with that issue, and secondly, by working with your doctor and uh, slowly tapering off. And I do not believe that Prozac or any of these psychotropic drugs that I know of are necessarily in this category, but one doctor told me there are some drugs that it takes as long to get off of as you've been on it. So uh, just be cautious there. Um, more than one case uh, we've had where people have uh, taken themselves off and had uh, not good results. And by the way, because of 
all the mental illness that's going around, and we call mental illness, uh, which is really not a biblical term at all, um, there are not enough true psychologists, trained psychologists, even in the secular world, to handle all of the cases that come in for supposed mental problems. And so now, regular medical doctors and even some untrained social workers have been filling the void, and um, they're not trained in that area. They just know if somebody comes in and complains about depression, well, here's a drug you can put them on. Uh, i tell you one story. We were, my wife and I were doing some counseling, and this person was just complaining about severe fatigue. And I said, you know, it might be worth your time to go, you know, get a physical and see if there's, you know, maybe you're missing a vitamin or something. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. And just ask your doctor. Anyway, she went into the doctor, and I don't know if he did even any tests, but he determined that she was depressed and wanted to put her on a psychotropic drug. So, I mean, that's the, that's the world we're living in. You can't even go to a doctor and get a, um, a diagnosis of fatigue without being put on some kind of a psychotropic drug. All right. As I said, it's overwhelm you with information. Here we go. We're still here. Uh, biblical counseling for those who are suicidal. Now, I'm separating. This is, this is a minor case, let's say. This is somebody who's come to you, and they said, I'm having these suicidal thoughts. I don't know what to do with them. What should I do? Here are some tips for you. And I mentioned this to uh, some folks I know before I started, but I'll just let you know. Uh, nothing I'm going to say this morning, I developed, right? I have I've been through the ACBC counseling with Dr. Scott, Dr. Street, some of the stuff here. I went to the ACBC counseling seminar or, or a conference and have uh, listened to numerous men, and I've kind of picked and chose and simulated, and you're getting the results of all of that study, but nothing that I'm going to tell you is unique to me, just so you know. So first of all, somebody comes to you like that, you need to be with them, you need to listen to them, you need to show compassion. This person is in a very low place, and they're coming to you for help, and you need to be available for them. While you're doing that, try to identify either the external pressure, like Job, or the internal heart issues, like David after his sin with Bathsheba, what is, what is their problem? What is affecting them? Is it something from outside of them they have no control over? Is it something, a turmoil inside of them because maybe there's unresolved sin? Uh, what is it? Try and determine. This is important. Provide sympathy in all cases, and if you can empathize, if you've been in the same place they are, provide empathy. Um, do not make them feel like uh, they are experiencing something that is outside the norm of 
this world, outside the norm of things that anybody could feel in this world. Give some hope through the scriptures, and I'm going to talk about that hopefully a little bit further if we have time. And the gospel, when needed. I mean, if someone comes to you and you are not sure where they are with the Lord, and they're experiencing issues like this, maybe the first place you go is the gospel. Even believers can be encouraged and reminded of the gospel and what Christ has done for us and refocus the attention off of themselves and onto Christ. Try and distinguish what they are able to control. In other words, um, is this something internal in them that they're struggling with? Or help them identify or distinguish whether this is something, uh, some pressure that's coming from the outside that they may not be able to control. They can they can deal with it biblically, but they can't control it. It's it's something happening outside of them. Uh, Identify their actions and responses to the people or circumstances that are affecting them. What have they done uh, in response to this struggle that they're in, that's got them to this point? And then identify others' actions and responses to their problems or circumstances. In other words, who's been advising them? What have they been told? Uh, uh, Have people been giving them biblical advice or unbiblical advice or... Uh, who's in the mix there. There's a number of counseling cases that I've been involved with. I've had to limit the number of people because you had too many cooks in the kitchen giving different advice here and there. And you've got to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's uh, boil this down a little uh, further. And also their conscience. We have to consider their conscience. Uh, If this is a struggle from within... Is their conscience condemning them because of unforgiven sin? Are they kind of cloudy about what's going on, or is their conscience clear? And here you have to distinguish between a believer and an unbeliever. If this is a true believer and their conscience is clear, we'll take their word for it. We'll work from there. But I have counseled Uh, primarily men, it's maybe because that's more I counsel men, who are clearly, identifiably, without a doubt, in sin, who will tell me their conscience is completely clear. And in that case, I have to wonder, is this guy a believer? So here you're, you're identifying, you're trying to, you're gathering information, you're comforting listening, and you're beginning to identify, how can I help this person? Now let's take a look at a case that's much more serious and immediate. What do we do? If you suspect they are suicidal at the time that you're speaking to them, in other words, um, This could be a phone call. 
this could be a phone call, and I can't go on any longer. I've got a gun here. I'm ready to pull it, pull the trigger. You ask first, do they have a plan? Have they thought this through enough? Is this just an emotional response? Oh, I just can't go on any further. Or have they really been thinking about this and they've thought about how they're going to do it? I'm going to get in the car and I'm going to drive off a cliff. I'm going to take a bottle of pills. I've got a gun and I'm ready to use it. You know, and don't allow them to give um, vague answers to these questions. You're asking serious questions and you want to know, you know, are they serious about this? Or is this just emotional, uh, just spilling out emotion, they have no no real plan. If they have a plan, gun, pills, or keys to a car, and a, a way that they plan to uh, execute this, if possible, have them surrender or confiscate the measure, uh, the means, I should say, that they plan to kill themselves. You may need to go with them to retrieve them, go to their house and get their gun or their keys or their pills or whatever it is. If uh, you are not able to take the means away from them or they're calling on the phone, as I said, uh, and, and this does happen, people are calling on the phone, I just can't go any longer, I'm, I've got a gun here, I'm ready to pull the trigger. Well, they haven't pulled the trigger yet, so they're, 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 they're not there yet. I mean, they're, they're on the edge they're in a very dangerous place, but they're calling for you for help. So you want to, um, you want to keep talking with them, and if there's someone else around, you get someone to call the police and give them their location. So you're talking to this person, you're trying to talk them off the cliff, and in the meantime, you're calling in the police to go to their location and uh, stop them from committing this act. You cannot leave them at this point. Uh, you need to get some help. Uh, you can't do this alone. There are, I mean, if, you're, if it's possible, if you're talking about in a counseling situation with a lot of counselors, uh, or until you can get the police involved or whoever, you may have to have a round-the-clock shift with various people watching over this person until they come down off of this cliff. Um, after that situation has calmed down and you think things are under control, you've taken their stuff away from them, they're no longer on the edge per se, uh, you need to get them to commit to a contract with you or someone else that if they even begin for a minute to consider suicide, that they'll call someone. They'll call someone before they take action. Now, these are practical steps to take, I want to say, but again, consider back to what I said earlier. You, sometimes you cannot tell. You do what you can you never take this on yourself. I mean, that may be extremely hard, if not impossible, to do. But uh, they are responsible for their own, for their own actions. Uh, oftentimes, um, 
and I had a couple come up to me the last time I did this, and their son was threatening to commit suicide every time they didn't give him something that he wanted. And so he was using this as a manipulation. There's so much of a, there's so much of a range, and you've seen it. I mean, I've given you far more information than you can probably process. There are zillions of reasons why someone could be in a position like this. You do the best you can to assess where they're at, how serious they are, whether they need some counseling to calm down, whether you need to get the police involved. Uh, and by the way, if the police come and they determine they're trained on these things, and if they determine this person is suicidal, they'll put them into a 72-hour lockdown. They'll go to a hospital somewhere where there is no way out. Uh, they are there, and unfortunately, they'll probably be put on a psychotropic drug, which is the least of their problems at that time. And they will not be let out until they have, they have calmed down from that place, and, and they can extend that. Uh, in one case, uh, we were involved with it, went past the 72 hours, and he got into a place that, uh, for a couple of weeks, as I recall, until he was finally uh, let out. And... Um, and uh, was seeking some help. Now, with the time we have remaining, um, I want to draw your attention to a passage you can use uh, to give someone some hope. You're counseling with someone, you want to give them hope. They are hopeless. And 1 Peter 1, verse 13 is a verse that deals specifically with that. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The therefore that's at the beginning, you go back to the earlier portions of chapter 1, and it's primarily talking about the great salvation that God has provided for us, the great salvation. So, therefore, because of the great salvation, the, enti the entire trinity was involved in verses 1 and 2 in the salvation of individuals. Because of that, Literally, prepare your minds for action is literally a term saying, gird up the loins of your mind, which would be a, something that the people of that time would be very familiar with. They would wear long robes, and if they had to run or work or do something physical, they would tie up the loose ends, wrap it around their waist, and be prepared for action, be prepared to run or to work or whatever it might be. And the picture is a very vivid one. It's to it's to grab a hold of all of the loose thoughts that are controlling your mind, that are, that are driving you to a situation where you cannot think clearly, and pull them all together, tie them up like a robe, and not be entangled by them. It's thinking clearly. Gird up the loins of your mind. He's calling us to a mental discipline of right thinking. Paul says in Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if, if there is anything excellent and worthy of praise, think on these things. So, again, focus them on the Scripture, 
get them off of their suicidal thoughts onto grabbing a hold of their mind and uh, dealing with the loose thoughts that have got them into that situation. Don't allow your thoughts to be to spiral you into suicidal thoughts. All the people that are, had have come to that are, we would call it, we could call it navel-gazing. They're, they're focused on themselves and their circumstances, and they're circling the drain and about to get flushed down. And so the thing is, you've got to get them off of thinking of themselves and getting them to think about God and His uh, kindness to us. Second Corinthians 10.5 says, Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The believer is to grab a hold of his mind and take charge of his thought life and keep spirit, keep sober in spirit, continually making the choice to be discerning, calm, collected, temperate, and not overly emotional. These people are very emotional. I didn't mention it earlier, but people who are often stuck in this uh, circumstance of um, emotion, emotion about whatever's going on, are often the most intelligent or uh, artistic people because those people are more in touch with their emotions. Someone who is a, a pianist or a violinist or some kind of... Uh, some sort of a musician, then is in tune with their feelings more than the average person. And so they're more susceptible to being drawn into this emotional world. So they need to, be, they need to keep sober in spirit, implies alertness, and evaluating things correctly, seeing things clearly and your mind isn't numb with confusion or cause for worry or fear. And the next, uh, the uh, main verb the, is to fix your hope. And this is a command. How many times did we talk in this series of people who were hopeless? They were hopeless. They had no hope. But we are commanded as believers to fix our hope. And hope not accomplished by removing the suffering, but by getting your thought straight. Biblical hope is to have absolute certainty about the future promise God makes to believers. In other words, our home is not here, our home is in heaven. Whatever trials we're going on here are temporary. completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Christ comes, whatever suffering has gone on is over, and you enter into eternity. This is a passage, this is one of many passages you could also use. Uh, I was hoping to even get there a little bit. Not You can look through Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. He is burdened by all that he sees going on in the world, and he says, why am I following after you? Why am I keeping all these rules when the unbelievers are prospering and we are not? And if you get down to verses 15 to 18, he takes his mind off of the world 
and puts it on Christ, and he revives. This is where you have to get to people that are suicidal. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word that gives us answers to the most complex problems uh, that we may face in this life. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for all that you do and provide for us through the scriptures. We ask that you would um, use what we've discussed today to minister to others, perhaps people that you know, people maybe even this in room, in this room, who've suffered through these things. We ask that you would uh, comfort them, guide them, heal them. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.